Hello and welcome to the Iowa Hospital Association's podcast, Getting to Know. My name is Joa Hogan. Today we interview Ryan Ford. Ryan Ford has been the Director of Cardiopulmonary and Support Services at Jefferson County Health Center since 2009. He has a Master's in Healthcare Administration, he's a Registered Respiratory Therapist, and a Neonatal Pediatric Specialist. Prior to his current role at JCHC, he worked as a Staff Respiratory Therapist at Atoma Regional Health Center in Mercy, Iowa City. Ryan has been married to his high school sweetheart for 34 years, has two grown children, and seven grandchildren with one more on the way. Welcome, Ryan, to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Hi, glad to be here. Could you share with us your journey from a high school student to your current role as Director of Cardiopulmonary and Sports Services at Jefferson County Health Center? Well, certainly. It's maybe a, a little bit of an unconventional journey, but uh, th- th- it was my journey. So I grew up in uh, southeast Iowa, just south of Mount Pleasant, a little community called Oakland Mills. When I was 15, my father and I moved to a town called Hood River, Oregon. I went to high school out in Oregon, and that's where I met my high school sweetheart. And right after high school, we got married. And then a year later, we had our first child, and we decided to move back to Iowa to raise our children, because in my mind and hers as well, there's just no better place to raise, raise children. My goal at that time was to get on a local manufacturer called Blue Bus, Bluebird School Bus Body Company. We built school buses. It was a great job. I got on there right away, worked my way up through management, uh, worked there until the plant closed in 2002. At that time, I really had to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I did a lot of market research and found that uh, the field of respiratory therapy was one of the fastest growing in the medical industry, mostly due to the baby boomers. And a lot of them were coming coming of age, getting a little older. And there was some smoking that may have happened uh, to those folks along the way and a lot of lung disease. So I decided to go back to school for respiratory therapy and I became a registered respiratory therapist, then went on to become a neonatal pediatric specialist, and then later went back a few years later, got my bachelor's in healthcare administration, then went on and got my master's in healthcare administration, and that's where we are today. Wow, that is quite the journey. You said at the time when factory that you worked at closed, you said respiratory therapist was a, a big need in healthcare. Is that the same today? Absolutely. We still got a huge baby boomer population. Um, we got a lot of young folks that we're starting to see lung lung issues with, with vaping and still continued smoking and secondhand smoke. And of course, with that, uh, the big pandemic that uh, you might have heard about that recently happened, that kept us pretty darn busy and, and the need grew increasingly more. Yeah, I bet that brought you to the front lines, if you will, uh, of the hospital. Certainly. Can you tell me specifically your position as director of Carter Pulmonary and Sports Services, what that looks like? It's pretty much anything heart or lung related. I oversee several different areas, including like cardiac rehab, pulmonary rehab, the sleep lab, respiratory therapy, and then other duties as assigned. I do oversee a few other departments in the hospital that's not related to respiratory whatsoever, but uh, I just do whatever I need to within the organization to lend a hand uh, wherever we need it. But, you know, my main team is a team that consists of respiratory therapists, polysomnographers, RNs, and EKG techs. And 
just do tons of different things like pulmonary function testing, uh, cardiac stress testing and monitoring, EKGs, response, all the rapid responses and codes. Anytime a patient goes south, as we say in the industry, if they're not doing well, they're going south. We do manage life support machines. We manage oxygen therapies, inpatient therapies, and pretty much anything with any type of pulmonary disease, sleep testing, even EEGs. And our role is increasingly more toward education. And we do a lot of education with patients and families on their disease processes and ways to improve. So my job is to make sure we have policies and protocols and the training in place and, and working with other departments to, within the organization, you know, preventing readmissions and uh, basically a lot of meetings, but they, they are important meetings and we're kind of paving the way for the future of respiratory therapy and how it fits into the organization. I bet your days are very diverse and they vary every day. It's you're always wearing a new hat and diverse is a good way to put it. We never get bored. <laughs> and then you were talking about the future of respiratory therapy. So how has the field of respiratory therapy changed since you first entered the field? Well, you know, it's been a few years ago, uh, over 20 years ago uh, uh, when I started into the respiratory field. And basically when I started, hardly anybody even knew what a respiratory therapist was. The work we did was more kind of reactive work. It's at when patients were already in the hospital, we were the ones behind the scenes that was taking care of them in the ICUs and, and on the inpatient units. They were really sick folks and in dire need of some help. And we were there to manage the life support and do all the therapies to get them back to their baseline and try to get them discharged for home. You know, over the last several years, we've been able to take a little bit more of a proactive approach and try to manage their disease processes earlier on by educating the patients and their families and trying to preserve lung function before they get so sick and hopefully reduce the need that wouldn't need as much invasive therapies like the life support and the non-invasive life support and the other therapies that we normally use on critically ill folks. And I should say, even since COVID though, more people know about respiratory therapists and and know that we played a huge role in the pandemic. And honestly, the continued care for these COVID long haulers, uh, we're seeing a lot of that and a lot more outpatient testing and, and getting these going. But, you know, it's just made a lot of changes. And I'd say education to, to other staff members. And we actually do a lot of education with nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, just educating them because that, that is our specialty. And we kind of like doing that kind of stuff. Understood. Thank you. Do you have any unique or interesting stories that you've experienced while working in a hospital setting? Well, certainly. I think I think it's hard to work in a clinical practice and not have some unique and interesting stories. Uh, anytime you deal with the public, there's always unique and interesting things that happen. Many of them probably aren't appropriate for this type of venue, but they're funny nonetheless. But uh, I do have one story that uh, that could appeal to all audiences. I had a we had a gentleman that presented to the emergency room, and he was very, very, very hypoxic, meaning that his oxygen levels were really low, and they were so low it was not conducive to life for much longer. Anyway, this gentleman did not want to stay in the hospital. He they wanted to admit him. He had a terrible case uh, of pneumonia. And it really had undiagnosed COPD on top of the pneumonia. So his lungs just were not functioning and they were not conducive to life. 
But this gentleman was adamant that he was going to go home. He was going to sign himself out against medical advice and was not going to stay. And the ER nurses didn't know what to do. So they called me down to see if I could kind of reason with this guy and see what was going on. And so we started having a conversation and I asked him what was so important that he needed to get home to. And he proceeded to tell me that he had not missed a, a Fairfield High School wrestling match in over 40 years. And there was a meet that night that he was not going to miss under any circumstances and that uh, he needed to go home so he could get to that wrestling meet. And I let him know, I said, you know, in your situation, you'll be lucky to make it home to get ready to the meet, much less make it all the way through the meet. You know, you, you probably will not survive this. And I would sure like to see you survive to go on and, and see several more wrestling meets. And, and he says, I just can't miss it. And I said, well, can we work out a deal? I'll work with you here. If I can find a way to get that thing recorded, will you stay with us till we can make you better? You can watch this. We'll bring it right to your hospital bed. You can watch the, the wrestling meet. And when you get better, you can go to the rest of them in person again. So he did agree to do that. I called the local. It's a, it's a little bro local broadcasting company that does televise some events. They weren't planning on televising that event or recording it. But they were able to get somebody there, record that meet. I let them know the special circumstances. They recorded it. They were kind enough to bring me the DVD the next day. We were able to take it to the patient room, and he was able to watch it, and, and he was quite happy. So, Wow. That is a good story. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, you know, figuring out what, what the motivation is and what they're thinking and, and how you can work with a patient and, and find out what their needs are and still try to keep them alive. That's, that's, that's our business. So that you went above and beyond for sure. I'm sure he was very appreciative and hopefully he was around to see plenty more wrestling matches. He was, we actually built a friendship. I got to work with him as a patient for quite a bit more, got to know his family, still friends with his son to this day. Well, thank you for that. And then can you tell us some of your hobbies or what do you like to do when you're not working? I have a ton of hobbies and not enough time for most of them. But my main hobby are, is definitely spending time with my seven grandchildren. I have three that are local to me. And then my son, who's in the Air Force, he's stationed in Alaska. He's got four daughters. So my four granddaughters, I don't get to spend as much time with. But we do like to travel and go see them in Alaska. And we like to travel to the Caribbean. That's our favorite pastime traveling destination. We like to go on cruises. Time's been a little limited. The last few years, I bought our family farm that's been in our family since 1846. And I'm a do-it-yourselfer, so I'm doing all the work. And, and we're just restoring the, the house. And I build a new shop and just, just doing things like that. We love to fish and boat and camp and all the other fun stuff as well. Nice. And how was Alaska? So have you gone up there quite often? I wouldn't say quite often, not near as much as we would like. COVID kind of started to restrict some of that as well. So we've had to do a lot more FaceTime with the granddaughters, but we have got up there and visit them. It's beautiful. We had we had a great experience and we just got some great news. Uh, number Baby number eight, grandchild number eight. She will be here in January, but in December, their next duty assignment will be off at Air Force Base in Omaha. So all five of my, soon to be five of my Granddaughters will be much closer. Congratulations. Yeah, that's all the way. We're excited. Now it will be great having them so close. That'll be quite the culture shift from Alaska to <laughs> Omaha, maybe for those kids. 
It's part of the military life. They get used to it. Well, we've got one last question for you, but I want to thank you so much, Ryan Ford, Director of Cardiopulmonary and Sports Services at Jefferson County Health Center, for being on the podcast today. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Do you have any advice for someone who is thinking about getting into the field of respiratory therapy? I think it's important to research the field that you're going into. We've had students that's got into the program that moved over from a nursing program because they didn't like math into a respiratory program. Come to find out there's a ton of math in a respiratory program. We manage life support machines and we do lots of equations and different things. And so definitely research the field that you're going to go into. A respiratory therapy is the sky's the limit. There's so many different avenues that you can take as a respiratory therapist. If you're getting bored, it's it's because you're you're just not expanding your horizons. But just get with somebody that's in the field and talk with them. And, and that way you can learn what to expect. And then the next thing after you decide you want to do that is research the colleges in your area that offer the program. You want to go to a college that's going to support your educational needs and give you the best building blocks as possible to start your career. And I was fortunate enough, I went to Southeastern Community College in Burlington or West Burlington, and had some wonderful educators that I was ready to hit the ground running when I graduated and made me the therapist I am today. So that part's important. And then I also recommend that you start talking with managers of the hospitals for the cardiopulmonary or respiratory departments in the area that you want to work in. Just do it as a student. You don't have to be graduated. You don't don't have to have your license yet. Reach out to them and, and let them know you're in a program and you're going to be graduating on a certain date and, and let, let them know you're interested and try to get your foot in the door. That goes a long ways with a hiring manager. Respiratory is a small community. We all talk to each other manager-wise. We, we all see each other at conferences and we share stories. And just because you're a student at one hospital, you may not want to work there. Trust me, we, we all talk to each other at other hospitals as well. So, you know, while you're a student, it's a job interview at every single hospital you go to and just treat it as such and be there to learn. And then once you do graduate, you know, use your knowledge, become a patient advocate and then use your passion to make an impact on everyone you treat, whether it's a small minor procedure or not. Build those relationships with those patients because we have a lot of repeat customers in the respiratory field. And as people age and their lungs progressively get worse, you're going to start seeing them more. And if you can make an impact on them the first time you meet them, you've got a friend for life and they're going to build a trust and you'll be able to do your practice so much easier. And it's You'll, you'll end up with a very fulfilling and rewarding career if you just take time for every single patient you have. Wow, that's great advice. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, sir. This podcast has been an opportunity to get to know Iowa hospital leaders. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for another episode next month.